Welcome to the Layer of Secrets podcast, a podcast about exploring the sprawling caverns of gaming, hidden treasure of geekdom, and the unexpected intersections of reality. On this episode, we are exploring using different forms of media in your game. One of those forms of media is movies. Uh, and I think one of these days I should do the Angry Bob style int- for our intro. Which <laughs> I think you should. That would I be think fun. You should. We'll have to talk a little bit about Angry Bob coming up. Yes, yes. It's much more on the cyberpunk vein. But one of the other things that I really like is Sentinels of the Multiverse. And you have discovered something that is, in in my mind, tangentially related to Sentinels of the Multiverse. And I love tangents. So, yeah, we're all about the tangents. And it's like we're both tired. (laughs) (laughs) We've had a long week. So, like, there are going to be so many tangents tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, so uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse, we talked about it, geeked out about it before. It is a collaborative card playing game, also includes apps for iOS, Android and Steam. And uh, it's it's nice. It takes place in an alternative uh, comic book universe like the the comics never actually existed, but they're inspired by Marvel and DC. And it's great. And they had multiple expansions and all these releases and stuff. And I love playing it with my son, but I love, I think, even more playing it as the iOS app because it just takes care of all of the bookkeeping. However, uh, season two pass ended a number of years ago. Like all of the content that is available has been released, except now we have Sentinels of Earth Prime standalone app. Uh, uh, also available on iOS, Android, and Steam. It's by the developers of Sentinels of the Multiverse, but with the hero of with the heroes and villains of Green Ronin's Freedom City. So this is nice. their mutant and masterminds default setting, right? And so my friends and I played. We had a short run campaign. I think it was like six to eight episodes, something like that, of um, of mutants and masterminds. Really enjoyed it. Honestly, I think we got distracted by something shiny, which is probably why we didn't continue that particular campaign. But it was it was fun. Uh, so this includes heroes like Omega, who's the skull guy with like a, a he's got like power armor and a skull enclosed in a glass helmet. Hades, who's kind of your your standard sort of like make a deal sort of trickster. Um, Metamind, which is uh, the Gru mother, a.k.a. the Gru mothership. So it's shape changing aliens. Think Martian Manhunter. Um, and then Argo, the ultimate android, who is uh, just a menace of uh, machine intelligence. Um, and he's opposed by heroes like the Bowman, uh, so think um, Green Arrow or Hawkeye, mm-hmm. Captain Thunder, who's kind of your classic, you know, caped hero that wields thunder. Doctor Metropolis, which is interesting, he summons different locations in cities that he then uses to fight the bad guys. So, like, I think there's like crushing asphalt or something like that. He's not like the Doctor Metropolis from Who Watches the Watchmen. No, no, this is this is different. Oh, that's wait, no, that's that's, <laughs> that's Doctor Manhattan. Uh, Doctor Manhattan, Sorry. yes, similar sort of like you know larger than life figure looking over everything, but he controls the aspects of the city. He is like the living city. There's Daedalus, who apparently is like the immortal son. No, wait, da- Icarus is the one who flies too close to the sun, so he yes. is the immortal father of Icarus, right? So he's got all these crazy inventions. And if you have more than seven cards in your hand at any given time, he uh, incinerates himself. So uh, that's an interesting mechanic. There's Lady Liberty, there's Siren, there's a couple of others. And so the cool thing is it's all interoperable with Sentinels of the Multiverse. So you can mix and match your heroes and villains, and it's just been fantastic. And if I didn't have all of these annual performance reviews to do for work, I'd probably <laughs> be playing the game right now, completely forgetting about the podcast. So you said um, it was, but, but I, you said it was a, it's a standalone app. Does it, but you say it, 
it's a, is it your same account? Therefore, you can mix and match the heroes from the yeah, other. Yeah, so app? It, it it is a it is aware of uh, Settles of the Multiverse. So you can download download it as its own thing, and it's its okay. own standalone app with just the content that's in it. If you own, like I do, all of the Settles of the Multiverse stuff in its own app, it is aware of Prime, which is pretty cool. It introduces different game mechanics. Like there's another character. I think his name is Johnny Rocket. And so he has a card mechanic called momentum where he's a speedster like the flash. And so you play these momentum cards and they stay in, they stay in, um, in play. And then eventually you get to the point where you can play a card, which gives extra bonuses or damage or what have you based on the amount of momentum that you have in play, which is different than some of the other speedsters type mechanics that they have in the, in the base game. So super duper fun. As you can tell, I'm talking really fast because I'm super excited. (laughs) It sounds fun. I like I the I have um, the last one before they re-released a bunch of stuff, but was uh, the. It's basically their Armageddon game. It's uh, it's not Omega. Oh, uh, Oblivion. Oblivion. Yeah, I have that Oblivion. In card game format and uh, and I played it once at Gen Con, but have not played it here at home uh and it's been a number of years so i would like to maybe when you come out for gen con that would be kind of cool that they maybe uh, maybe i mean it's that is like the pinnacle of crunchiness when it comes to sentinels of the multiverse that's why i like the digital version and that's even better because there's like a gazillion tokens and mechanics to keep track of in oblivion and that's and that's partly why i haven't played it is because while uh my girls like sentinels of the multiverse like it's it is super quick and easy to set up. And yes, there's a little bit of crunchiness to it, but it's only a little bit. Um, but then Oblivion like cranks that up to 11 with like, Hey, you have six mini bosses yes. and then Oblivion. And then each of you have all of this stuff and all of this stuff needs to be kept track of. And I yes. played it once. So it's, it, could, it would be hard for me to teach it. And so, and, and, uh, you know, of course they're, they're now, well, is, is, is leans in college and Tegan is about to graduate high school. So, you know, like about the time when I would have played, they were super busy with extracurricular activities. So we just haven't played it. So, but I'd like to, and it's hella complicated. It is. <laughs> it's, just, it's hella complicated. It has so many interesting mechanics that I have a lot of fun playing that particular expansion. But again, I, I have more fun playing it. I think uh, when the computer does everything for me, like I'd rather actually just hand the iPad back and forth <laughs> as Got we it. do like co-op turns. <laughs> so anyway, speaking of the multiverse, mm-hmm. I think you've been visiting some alternative uh, comic book realities. I have. Um, well, you know, we're, we're doing, uh, cyberpunk red and i've been on just a tiny bit of a cyberpunk kick lately and i i noticed in some listicle somewhere of like you know top cyberpunk things and i saw transmetropolitan by warren ellis uh it's actually by warren ellis and derek robertson who does the the art for it and i'd heard of it before and i was like oh okay i didn't realize it was cyberpunk let me let me go Take a look at it. And first things first, libraries are awesome. So uh, (laughs) I was able to get the collected versions. It comes out in two different kinds. There's like there's like a a 10 issue set of collected comics. There's 60 total comics 
and there's one that has like six comics per and the, but then there's a newer version which has like five volumes which has all 60 um and that's the one i i think it was over the last two days mainlined all of them so uh it's it has a bit of a feel of the 2000 AD British comic that had Dredge Dread in it and such like that. Some of the that artwork style is completely like there is not a consistent art style in, in uh, 2000 AD, but like it has a bit of a feel of some of those art styles. You know, lots of stuff going on in each panel in terms of like detail. It's a story of Spider Robinson, who is a who's a, a journalist basically patterned after uh, Hunter S. Thompson, who is the founder of Gonzo Journalism, and he is he's not an anti-hero. He's not really a hero. He's not someone you want to model your life after. I, I, I read it and and it is kind of cyberpunk, like in terms of the setting. But really, it's a big set of political commentary on politics and journalism and just life in general. Um, and how the little guy often gets squished when other people are trying to rise to power. And Spider and his uh, two assistants are out to deliver the truth. And then uh, and one of the things that I thought was really interesting about it was Spider is not out. Spider knows that he himself cannot change the world. And so he is trying to put out there the truth with a capital T of what is actually going on out there. And then the rest of the world who reads his column needs to actually take action to make that change. Um, So he's like a fulcrum and, you know, uh, and he's, he's adjusting the fulcrum so that the populace has the ability to make more change than they normally would. And it was it was good. It was not quite the cyberpunk, although there are definitely things in there that you could yank and put into cyberpunk. Uh, like his, uh, he doesn't normally use a gun, but he has a gun or something that looks like a gun, but it's a bowel disruptor and he can set it to uh, various strengths. So like liquefaction, volcanic eruption, uh, prolapse oh, was one of them, which is awful. <laughs> if you know what that means, don't look it up. If you do, if you're going to eat no, sometime it's not something you want to Google. <laughs> um, yeah, def- definitely don't Google image search that one. Uh, don't do that. No. Uh, but yeah, it, it was a good series. Um, I recommend it. Uh, it came out about 20 years ago and it felt. Unfortunately, super modern in terms of how politics has gone in the last six years or so, which means it's about how politics has kind of gone in the last 50 years or so, because Uh, Hunter S. Thompson was late 60s, early 70s um, and Richard Nixon and, and things like that, like like a lot of those parallels are there. But you could replace you could replace whoever, whatever president you want and put a different president in. And, uh, you know, a lot of the same sort of stuff that's in Transmetropolitan sticks. So gotcha. it's, uh, it's not cool in terms of that part of it, <laughs> but it's, a, it's a good one. Uh, I can see as a younger person being like, Oh, the spider spider's awesome. He's amazing. He's cool. I should pattern my life around him as an older older person who's gotten past 20s or so um, and definitely had kids. It's like, no, 
No, do not pattern your life after this person. <laughs> um, the one interesting, one really interesting thing that I did learn, however, is Transmetropolitanists had two shots at going into either an animated series or a live action series. The animated series was first and a really big fan was going to voice Spider. And that really big fan was Patrick Stewart. Wow. Yes, he loves Spider. And he actually goes in and there's a there's one particular set of uh, one volume called Monstering. And there's a there's a, a soliloquy that he that Spider steps up on a table and talks about monstering German journalism. Um, and at one point, in order to to kind of prove that he loved Spider and was really interested in the project, actually had stood up on a table and delivered that soliloquy in the middle of a restaurant. So, you know, at, at least that's what I that's what I understand. I don't know how true it is, but uh, I do know that. He and his production company attempted to do an animated version of Transmetropolitan. Wow, I did not know that. I did actually read it. I was just checking my my book log. I read it back in 2008. That's shortly after shockingly. it probably would have wrapped. Yeah, so like it was and I think that's probably how it popped up on my radar in the first place. And so I remember it being like having the kinds of reactions you're describing my 15 year 15 year younger self. Yeah. <laughs> So, but, yeah. but I didn't, it didn't engage me quite enough to keep it, it going, but also I didn't have it at the library. Like I would probably read the whole thing now. I think so. So what, so knowing that you're playing a media in the cyberpunk campaign, do you find inspiration or uh, I think you should be scared because <laughs> spider. And if I go with the angry Bob persona, spider feeds into that angry Bob persona. He barrels in, he's always searching for the truth and never seems to get arrested. <laughs> even though he beats people up <laughs> so uh that seems like uh like a tailor-made segue to cyberpunk red we've we've yep. actually played it folks after talking about <laughs> it for uh a, a goodly number of months we actually sat down and and, and ran it multiple times so david has had ran our like sort of initial play test that we did in tailspires to get a feel for the mechanics I've run, uh, let's say I ran easy mode, half of easy mode, which is the the one shot introductory adventure. And yep. then we did sort of a, a quick play test with our soon to be characters. So that we, we wanted to figure out the net running rules because we were not sure how well they would work and play with the other character concepts. I think we've all had um, some trauma from playing Shadowrun and remembering like, you know, oh, hey, yeah, you know, I'm not, my, uh, my hacker is going to do. A bunch of stuff right now and so like two hours later everybody comes back to the table while the netrunner is completing their actions so we wanted to make sure that that wasn't going to be the case right and so i've actually uh run it for my group as well now my my sunday night group and uh, they also made it halfway through easy mode and so our Telsorian, um if there is a flaw in easy mode it's that people don't want to finish the adventure because they just want to go on and play the game <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a good flaw is like, hey, it's a good do you want to finish this game or do you want to like play the real one? Like, no, we want to jump in and play the real one. So, I mean, that's yeah. that's pretty good. Like playing half of an introductory one shot, people are like, yes, we should make this our alternative game. Yeah, we could totally do this with like two or three plea people and other people aren't around. Yes, we should totally do this. Like, OK, OK, cool. So we're not finishing the one shot next week. OK, cool. 
Cool. I mean, you could finish the one shot, but like convert it over to the full game. Yes. Yes. But I haven't even given any thought to what I'm going to do with my, my regular group, but, um, <laughs> well, our testing does have a lot of downloadable, <laughs> like runs that you can grab and scream sheets that are kind of segueing into our main topic. There's a lot of other things that they have available that you could pull little nuggets out of and make an entire game out of. Yeah, I think, I mean, especially Tales from the Red. I want to say one of us was reading Tales from the Red. I haven't, I haven't, I specifically have not started reading the book because I wanted to go back and see if anybody else was actually reading it. I'm running our Cyberpunk Red game for, for Lair of Secret. So I think I can probably go read it, but like, and that, those conversations were probably early on when we weren't sure who was doing what. But in any case, uh, our initial thoughts on Cyberpunk Red, and I'm hoping to do a post for the site about this, um, it's crunchy. It has, it's like kind of a, an old school throwback in terms of mechanics, right? There's a lot of the, not like a crushing number of fiddly bits, but there are a goodly number of fiddle, fiddly bits. It's, it's deadly. So, um, you critical, uh, hits. If you, if you, if you manage to score a critical, which is when you're rolling uh, damage, you roll a number of, of, uh, six sided dice. And if uh, two of those come up, you get a critical wound and they're bad. Like yeah. your arm gets blown off. Your yeah. fingers are crushed. You lose a leg, punctured lung, lung, lung. <laughs> and the lung I mean, is really bad. If you get hit in the lung, you're dead. <laughs> yeah. The, the luckily for us in our, in our play test, when we did the, we did the two play tests, we did one with just combat. And then the later one was net adding net running in. But the, the prior one, we had a few criticals, but they were all, not on the PCs. So we could just kind of go, Ooh, that would be really bad for a PC to have happen. But luckily none of that happened to us. For my, for my Sunday group, it happened on both sides. And so I think uh, some, some takeaways range matters uh, perhaps more so than other games I've played. It's uh, Mm -hmm. I really like this. And I think it may be one of the things that's really appealing to my group is the idea that pistols are good, really close and assault rifles are good from a farther range. And this is actually a game where you would want to set up the shot with for a sniper rifle because your target value that you're rolling to actually to hit your target is based on your range. And so you yeah. want to get to that sweet spot for your weapon. And I think that adds sort of like a tactical component that other games, other modern style games, even like Star Wars or... Um, I'm just trying to think of some of the other modern games that my friends and I have played, like Savage Worlds. Like, like they don't really account for that. Yeah, most of most of the games when they have ranges, you you might have a disadvantage at point blank range on certain ones, but after that, it's either plus zero or it you know you get better. You might get better at some long ranges, but even like with sniper rifles, usually it's still a minus um, to hit something at like long or extreme range. Whereas in Cyberpunk Red, the long range being like 30 meters away is really good for like the assault rifle type stuff. And then uh, sniper rifle is even further away. Yeah. And so I think combined with the lethality of the game, I think it introduces some interesting possibilities from a game master and player perspective. You don't want to get into a fight. And if you get into a fight, you want to do it smart. And if you don't do it smart, and even if you do, several characters may die. So don't get overly attached to them. So it is it is a dark and brutal future, and the rules really reinforce that. And I think it should have interesting implications for 
for role playing because you're going to want to set up the shot, right? Like if you're taking down like the corporate fixer guy who's just ultimately corrupt and what have you, you're going to want to like do a little bit of both masks and theater of the mind and say, this is where the sniper is. And we're trying to get him to the right place because if we get into a firefight, we want to win, but right. we want to try and not get into a firefight. Right. And so, or you guys are, are just bonkers and you're getting into the fight, but knowing that like you've got another character rolled up, the first one's probably not going to make it through the scenario, right? So in that, I think it's actually kind of close to what we saw in Edge, so like the Netflix Edge Runners series, where it's fast, it's brutal, like life is hard in the dark future, and the game yep. really reinforces that with its rules. Um, the other thing I think is network net running works. Um, our friend Chris Miller is playing the the net runner, and uh, the way it works is he gets like three actions to everybody in the real world. One action, like for a meet at, you get a for each meet action, you would get three net running actions, uh, which sounds like oh my gosh, I'm just gonna be sitting around doing nothing. But because the net runner, their job is to basically get into the architecture and try and bypass the various threats that they find in there. And it's a fairly sort of linear dungeon crawly type thing. Like you're dealing with the black ice, you're dealing with an obstruction, you're trying to seize control of a, a system. And so they don't, they're limited in their choices. They're not, they don't have an infinity of things that they're attempting to do. And, but at the same time, what they're doing is helpful to the regular players, right? So the regular right. players want to buy the net runner time to get in and disable the guns because they don't want to deal with the guns. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I mean, because it was our, our first time doing it, I think the initially it went a lot longer than it normally would yes. because we yes. didn't so know what was going that on. It's super fast. But each of the Netrunner actions outside of combat, outside of the like the combat with Black Ice or whatever, um, are pretty short. Um, so it, right. there's three actions, but if the Netrunner is thinking ahead while, you know, while their turn is coming up, they could be like, okay, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And like the first two things might be really quick. And then the last thing might be getting into a fight with the black ice, which is just a couple of dice rolls. Cause that's one round of combat. Um, and then right. it'll go to the next person sort of thing. Yeah. And I think the other so, thing that we learned, uh, hopefully Ken, you learned is that, uh, <laughs> Aaron can and will try to break your game. <laughs> yeah. So it was great, but it worked. It all worked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it worked beautifully. She, she navigated her way through the ductwork and that's cool. Yep. And thankfully she was, she had gone out ahead of everybody else was navigating her way through the ductwork. And thankfully Chris was able to like defeat all the net architecture before she got into a place where she would have gotten herself killed on the inside. So, right. um, it all came together in the end, but I think it's, I think it's, it is a fun game. I'll be curious to see how the campaign plays out. Um, in a bit of, uh, cyberpunk red news, just this just in, because it popped up in some, one of my feeds or what have you, I think it was on Twitter. Uh, black Chrome is now out on roll 20. So this is their I saw that. Uh, tech and cyberpunk release. It's now available um, on Roll20 as an add-on. And there's a Black Chrome Plus, a free Black Chrome Plus add-on that has additional cyber tech and maps and stuff. So um, cool. I'm going to go probably look at that, maybe spend some money on it. Because now i got two campaigns that want to play Cyberpunk. So. <laughs> and, and and remember, like I like playing around in, in Tailspire. So if you... If you want to yes, of course, have me of make maps in Tailspire, <laughs> let me know. And it may not be for us. I mean, you, we could do Tailspire for your other game, too. 
Yeah, so my, my key thing, we've talked about this before. So, I mean, talking a little bit about Hellspire, three-dimensional map, uh, modeling for your games. And I think we've had a little back and forth of it with uh, amidst the group. And I think the thing about Tailspire that I, I like, particularly when you're talking about the things we were just talking about with range and setting up the ambush and that sort of thing, I could see wanting to build out just that really nice, big virtual tabletop to take advantage of those kinds of things. Right. Yep. Um, Cause it would, it would, it would, it would feel very immersive, I think, as opposed to just like, ah, oh, well, we, you know, we're, we're hacking into a warehouse. I don't know that it adds that much in that particular scenario, but if it's a very sort of, visceral you're attacking a convoy or something like it could be very interesting but that means i need to figure out what the heck i'm doing ahead of time so that you have time to build it <laughs> right well I, and and there luckily there's a bunch of places like tales tavern and stuff like that which which has a lot yes. more cool stuff on there as well uh, it's fun to build it i i built the entire first building for uh, a night at the opera which is the first module first yeah well mod, first adventure in tales from the red and I started building out the second map for it. Um, yeah, your earlier question was, yes, I started I've started reading it because I picked it up at Gen Con last year um, before right. we knew we were actually going to play it. But uh, we thought about playing it, I think. But I picked those up and I'd like to run it at some point. Um, so maybe I'll I can. That's the that's the nice thing. Tegan is done with uh, guard, so there's no extracurricular activities for us. Like our weekends are actually open, starting like pretty wow. much now, and <laughs> so I might be getting a either an online or an in person game group again together at some point in the nearish future. The key to the success of your group, I know you struggled with this a little bit. Clearly, we've determined that the new key to success is to just have them run easy mode, just run easy mode, and then they'll get halfway through it and then they'll want to play. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'd be curious to that. see if third time was the charm, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I do like the advice that I have stole, liberally stolen. Um, it was one of the, I'd say, I, a gaming YouTuber uh, who, a role playing game new, YouTuber who, does i think it's his name's z but he does cartoon type stuff but uh he was saying if you want to get people hooked run a one shot tell them that you're only running a one shot that there's no commitment but then at the end you're like hey did you guys enjoy that do you want to do it again so right um first hit was free the second hit also free yeah <laughs> so yeah Not that I'm, I'm judging gamers hopeful. game masters who charge i'm just saying you know <laughs> so i do have one other bit of like breaking campaign news and it's actually a, a a game that we've talked about in the past um i think we drew some inspiration for this when we were doing our um, army corps of engineers um cryptid monster game. of the week sort of scenario yep. cryptic yep. game um and it's it's monster of the week which is uh, powered by the apocalypse game my gamer working group uh, my lunchtime game uh both of our campaigns came to a conclusion after about three years. And so we're like, Hey, what do we want to do next? And so monster of the week came out of nowhere to kind of like bubble to the top. It is now the game we're going to play. Wow. So I think we're going to do at least a one shot. I have the book, which, you know, wow, we're actually yeah, going to play a, a game I, it's, that I purchased <laughs> right there. I still haven't played it. They actually came out with a, another expansion book for it with more stuff in it as well within the last year. Yeah, and I think there's like a new, isn't there a new edition that was coming out, like being Kickstarter or something? Or is that what you're thinking of? 
Uh, no, I think there's two things. I can look it up real quick. Well, while you do that, uh, so I'm excited. It's it's going to be interesting. Like I think that the the, the great thing about it is it, it pulls from all the archetypes of the the monster of the week genre. So you've got you know inspiration from Buffy. You've got it from uh, let's see. I had it all in my head, and then it just ran away. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, Supernatural. Right. Like basically anything where the crew comes together to deal with a threat. Hell, Scooby-Doo. Right. Like <laughs> yep. you, you get to face those threats on a weekly basis. And most people have the, like just the pop culture references to be able to do it. The funny thing is we have one guy in our group who has none of the pop culture references. His parents didn't let him watch television growing up. Wow. He only ever watched cooking shows. And so he doesn't know who Buffy is. He's never watched Supernatural. He has no desire to watch any of these things. So I'm be very curious to see how he plays um with the archetypes, right? Because you know, you're like, oh you're gonna play a Xander. He doesn't know anything. And he's like, who the hell is Xander? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to like what you need to dig down into like what types of shows his parent let him watch as a kid or, or enjoys now, you know, he doesn't watch television. He okay. reads Russian literature oh. and he watched cooking shows as a kid. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, Brindlewood Bay does have a I know. great British bake off <laughs> sort of, uh, it leads uh, to the forefront, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so in any case, we're, we're going to be doing it. And the best thing is I'm not running it. So another uh, another player in our group, another member of our group is going to be running it. So I'm 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 curious to see how it goes. You know, I haven't cool. I haven't played a Powered by the Apocalypse game since truly Powered by the Apocalypse since I guess Brendelwood Bay is the closest I've come. Um, we did so the challenging um, game. We did the uh, we did Blades in the Dark and Scum and Villainy. Yeah, but they're not. They're kind of Powered really. by the Apocalypse. They're, I mean, they're they're more the forged in the dark the DNA sort yeah. of things because, rather than because you don't have like apocalypse. skills. In, yeah, you don't have skills and stuff in. If I remember correctly, I've just started rereading the book, but like the, the it's it's truly like your standard powered by the apocalypse playbook, and it tells okay. you like these are the standard moves that you have, and these are the class moves, the role moves that you have, and so it's very much a traditional powered by the apocalypse game as opposed to Blades in the Dark or Scum and Villainy. So, gotcha. anyway, I'll have more updates on that once we actually get to play it. Yeah, the the monster of the uh, week right I think is a new playbook. hardcover edition with a new cover uh, is the latest news. But the within the last year they came out with the Tome of Mysteries, which was that's what I was seeing. It's a supplement and mystery collection for Monster of the Week. So uh, oh. eight new alternative weird moves that go beyond use magic. Four new hunter playbooks: uh, the Gumshoe, the Hex, the Searcher, and the Paromantic. I don't know what that means. Uh, <laughs> uh, paranormal romantic paranormal actually it is pararomantic so maybe it is the paranormal maybe I don't know maybe you can play a vampire uh, uh, like a spike vampire okay. support yeah, for weird phenomena, phenomena type <laughs> mysteries like those found in the fringe or x-files uh, tips and techniques used by experienced keepers and 29 fully detailed mysteries ready to drop into your game. Oh, we're killing my budget, man. Sounds cool. <laughs> it's uh, $25 for the book and PDF. It is It is very tempting, but I'm trying to uh, be disciplined, so I'm going to add it to the list. Gotcha. 
All right. Well, um, we have uh, our main topic coming up. So we we said we were going to talk about using media, different media in your game. And now is the time to talk about that. What do we mean by that? That is actually an excellent question. So my take on it when I was when I was thinking about it, I think and I think the answer has changed depending on whether you're or the, the answer can change based on whether you're running a real world game or an online game. So I think some parts of an online game make it easier to incorporate media and some parts of a real world game may make it easier to do that. So I know before the pandemic, when I was running my Dungeons and Dragons uh, prequel campaign for um Oh my gosh, what was it? Uh, Obsidian Frontier. I would go into Spotify or whatever music service I was using at the time, and I would pull in different ambient music to play during the game because I wanted to kind of get people in the mood and kind of reinforce the Feywild sort of adventure that I was going for, right? And it wasn't, I wanted to augment the descriptions that I was giving. And I was using, I was throwing the thesaurus at him, right? Like I would never just say green, right? It had to be verdant <laughs> green or, you know, em- verdant emerald, right? Like you can't just go with a straight up, you know, plain old green or blue or what have you. Right, especially so not when you're online, dealing with the Feywild. Right, especially, especially. So for me, it, it, it ends up being both things, right? So in, for me, using different media in your game as a game master, it provides me with inspiration, right? So if I'm just stuck and I'm trying to come up with different ideas, I just go into Pinterest and I start streaming through all of the things that are there and saying, okay, well, this this is interesting, this is interesting. And it gives me kind of like a mood board to look at. Um, but then during the actual adventure, you know, I, I did this in the Feywild adventure. Like there's some great, just very atmospheric artwork that's out there. And, you know, I would I would pull that up on my, you know, we're on Twitch. I have a television behind me. You can't see it if you're listening to the podcast, but I have a television in my game room. And I would just throw that up under the screen and say, this is what you see, right? And it's a swamp fight, swamp thing type thing emerging from the mists. Um, so that would help it reinforce the game. Um so that's kind of where I was at. And then also like real world stuff, like not real world, but like in-game world media. So what was what what did it mean to you? Um I was originally thinking of it as what you, what you started at, which is inspiration. The, the more I I read your notes, but also the more I thought about it, um I've definitely used media in the game as well. Uh I think we'll reorder these. I, I want to put art first uh, because I do the same thing as you do. I have a Chromecast on the television in my living room, which is where uh, when I have a game in person, that's where we've gamed. And we were playing uh, uh, futuristic superheroes. It was Mythic D6 um, uh, superheroes game uh, on the uh city of buckle city which is uh, a creation of my own which is it sits in the middle of the atlantic ocean and is the buckle or the 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 terminus point for a space elevator and so there's a lot of commerce there there's a lot of grift there there's a lot of stuff going on there and there's so the superheroes are are uh, work out of there and at one point they go into this uh research facility and i had gone on uh pinterest and another good one to look up is oh shoot now i'm thinking of, i'm blanking on the name for it um concept art um so like googling something something concept art really like will give you some really evocative images that are not always like super super detailed but leave 
a huge amount to the leave a good amount to the imagination um, and like almost tell a little story in and of themselves that you that they're really good to use. Um, so I would use those as inspiration and then I'd call through those and pick out a couple to use during the game. So when they're in this area, it's like this is the corridor you see, you know, you hear these noises, you hear this. And then once I was inspired, I would find specific pieces of artwork to show different areas of the complex that they were moving through and, and things like that. Um, and I would actually use that as kind of a proto map. It's hard to do catwalks and other things like that on a uh, on like a 2D map. Uh, so having that picture there, it's like, oh, I want to fly up to that catwalk or they're firing down at you from the catwalk or et cetera, et cetera. And so that those are the things that I have done artwork wise. Uh, Pinterest is a really good one. Um, Google image search is another good one that I grab onto. Using concept art is a good one. In the last six months or so, there's there's AI driven art. I don't know how much I like that. Like I'm still really conflicted because artists should be paid. And the, yes, the art, agree. That those, the art that those AIs were trained on is copyrighted art. And those artists were not compensated for that, for the use of that art, in which case I don't think that should be used. However, I will also say for a personal game where you're not putting it in a book or anything like that, I think it's probably okay to use with your personal group. Yeah, because really I mean, there can be arguments made. Yeah, I mean, this the same sort of thing kind of happens a little bit with Pinterest, right? Like you've got these mood boards and stuff and you're aggregating all this content, but I'm not paying a license for any of those things as I'm like using it in my game, but I'm not streaming it online. Like I think, you know, if I were doing... And I think we haven't we haven't talked about this for Cyberpunk Red. It hasn't actually come up, but I don't know if I were to use art in a game that I was streaming. I would make, want to make sure it was either that, that that like the people who had created that art were being compensated. I think yeah. is where I, my my head is at. Like in your home game, it's like evocative of like it, you're you're trying to evoke a feeling and what have you. It's a little bit different than if you're doing it as a for profit endeavor, right? And especially if I was publishing something, right? Like I wouldn't just like randomly grab stuff from my archaeology uh pinterest page to say okay hey yeah i'm just gonna stick this in the book right like i would find an artist to do it <laughs> several of us have gone on to like mid journey and made character portraits for our cyberpunk game but we're not going to use them in the game because this is more of a public consumption theoretically in the future we might get paid for this sort of thing and i don't i would rather pay an artist to do stuff like that. But if this were a home game, I'm okay with it using that sort of stuff as a home game add-on. Yeah. Yeah, so that's it's uh it's it's an interesting interesting slightly terrifying <laughs> perhaps majorly terrifying area um that's impacting our hobby right now because it's 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 tough, right? Cuz you just want to go out and like slam down some tokens and say, "Hey, here's like the art that I was able to quickly generate through Midjourney." But to your point, like that art came from somewhere. It wasn't actually spawned directly from the AI. Right. Uh non-existent mind. Right. So, um So anyway, so uh, I had when we were working on Cyberpunk, I did come up with like 
I've come up with basically now, ever since I think I did my um, day after Ride to Rock campaign, I've been doing Pinterest boards. So I have one for Cyberpunk where I pulled together a couple of ideas. Arcologies, when I was thinking about doing Arcologies as uh, the, the Dungeon 23 project, I would just started like squirreling things away as possible inspiration for doing uh, like an arch Arcology area a day. Um, and now I just use it for Cyberpunk. Um, <laughs> I've been doing it for battle maps too, right? So if I find inspiration for battle maps, and then you know, there's a lot of freely available battle maps that are out there for use in games. And then um, there's also like identifying Patreons that you can go and subscribe to. Like I've been trying to find, especially for Cyberpunk. I think one of the other things we're finding is there's a niche, there's a niche use case there for it's a niche genre, I should say, and so it's much easier to find battle maps and such for things like Dungeons and Dragons than it is for certain aspects of science fiction. I, I agree. The, the stuff that is out there, it is harder to find things for science fiction, especially if you're trying to narrow it down to just cyberpunk type stuff. Cause there's sometimes science fiction stuff doesn't look like what you would expect in, in cyberpunk things like Western genres, things like that. You might find some fantasy maps that would fit the Western genre, but a lot of times they don't. There's a bunch of things like that. But like I, for a long time, especially when I was running regularly, I would find all these maps. I would find different pictures, et cetera. And I would put them in folders on my hard drive. And then when I was prepping, I would look through them and go, what speaks to me? You know, what what fits the situations that I want to put in front of my players? Um, or where are, I know my players are headed in this direction. What do I have that fits the vibe of that direction? Like having just a, a I mean, Pinterest is good, um, but effectively this is like Pinterest on my hard drive. It's just like a, a huge, yes. huge folder of stuff that I can go through and be inspired by. Yeah. And I, when I was doing my day after Ragnarok adventure, which takes place, it's like the Midgard serpent rises. The United States kills it with a nuclear bomb. It falls to Earth, and then it's Ken Heights' uh, campaign setting. And um, and so it, it's very much like I think alternative sixties. I think is more or less the time frame when this happens because the Midgard serpent ri rises at the end of World War Two. And so I was okay. going out and looking for like concept art from space programs for the Soviet Union and for the United States, like all that great, like fifties and sixties concept art that like just great, like pulpy fodder. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, uh, so we have music on our list. And so we, we talked do. a little bit about that coming in. So I got to say, I've, I've been, I, I linked to uh, some, some links, some playlists that I have on Spotify. Uh, you know, I, I don't love Spotify, but it has all the music. Um, <laughs> I know that Chris has, <laughs> we thought some of our friends have been doing non Spotify options. And if I can find a good way of building playlists uh, with similar music elsewhere, I might do that too. Um, but a lot of what I've been doing is just like, I need to get pumped for the campaign. I need to get into the right mindset for the campaign. And so for Elemental Apocalypse, I've got this playlist that's heavily inspired by actually the music from Willow. Uh, sadly, it's a, the series is not continuing. They only did one season, but um, but it's good stuff. And so it's got all of these like, the fun tracks where, again, like we've talked about in previous podcasts, music to throw yourself off a building through by to knowing that you're going to catch yourself on the way down. That's the yep. key thing. Yes. You know, the other approach would be very depressing. But so it's that kind of like really pumped, going to charge into combat and do awesome stuff. So it gets me ready to go when I want to write for my campaign. And then for Cyberpunk Rad, I've just been like stealing stuff all over the place from the Matrix, Edge Runners, um, 
just random other cyberpunky themed songs. And so for me, the purpose of this, I'm not going to play it during my games. If we're in the real world, I might as a, as kind of like a prelude to the game as everybody's like gathering, but mostly it's about just getting me in the mood. I've used, I use music in two ways. One is to inspire me. And the other is to like set the mood and inspire the players during the game. Um, so like for, as a player, most recently, um, in fact, shortly before this podcast, I was uh, going on a walk and put on some music uh, that would fit my character. So it was like the Ramones, I want to be sedated and hey ho um, and other like punk type music. Um, and, and but then you could totally mix in like Vangelis and like the Blade Runner soundtrack, et cetera. Um, and then I would probably also mix in uh, Bubblegum Crisis soundtrack um, for, from anim, uh, from the anime from the 90s, um, but was heavily inspired by Blade Runner. Um, right. And it was. Yeah. So like it is that inspires me for character wise uh, in game. Um, you know, I'll I will sometimes play. Usually I will play music that is instrumental to kind of set the tone or the mood uh when i was yes. doing a uh, a star wars game there was a race that was coming up and i'm trying to remember the song i used but it was a it was a song with actual lyrics um but uh and it was like a 60s song sort of thing but it was it, it had kind of the race type beat of like everybody jump in your in your pods and start racing sort of deal um right. and yeah, so I tend to use a lot of the things with with words um, will inspire me. Sometimes songs um, uh, will inspire me for an entire adventure or a campaign. Uh, a friend of mine in college actually would uh, he made a playlist of, he was using Iron Maiden at the time, but he made a playlist of, uh, like 20 different songs. And each song was basically, uh, one or two sessions of adventure that he, he then wrote the campaign around that playlist. He like put the playlist together and was wow. thinking of scenes and things, but then put it all together in one coherent whole. And, uh, didn't let us know that this was the soundtrack for it until later, but you know, he would run the different adventures and they all synced up with either some lyrics or the title of the song. Um, and so that's, I cool. mean, that's one way to get inspired by it. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's funny, right? Like growing up, you'd be playing D and D and so you break out, uh, let's see, like, I don't know, Conan the Barbarian soundtrack. That's a big, huge one. Conan the Destroyer. Play. Yep. And that was it because there wasn't really any other Not a lot more. music you could use. No. <laughs> Nowadays, we are we have a, 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 an abundance of riches, right? Like there's so many different things. Even just Star Wars, there have been so many. It was so easy when I was running my Star Wars campaign, like to go to the, to, to the original trilogy. But everyone's heard those songs a gazillion yep. times. And so... Being able to go into things like there, you know, Clone Trooper, like there was a Clone Troopers game, like there's a variety of game and series soundtracks that had come out that like would riff on the Star Wars ideas, but it wasn't music that people had heard regularly, right? And so 
and it wasn't as distinctive as what you would see in the Mandalorian, right? The Mandalorian soundtrack actually is has its own sort of like musical language that it's kind of a western very distinctive like the western or like or like firefly-ish vibe um for those there was actually uh after um after jedi they uh they actually lucasfilm actually came out with a, a book and actually a soundtrack for the book and they had a bunch of media around it um i happened to go to their gen con thing it was like we're going to push this so much that people are going to swear they saw the movie of it, even though there was no movie. <laughs> um, and what it really was is it's uh, it's the it's the book with Dash Rendar in it. Um, okay. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh, I th- maybe it's Shadows of the Empire, I think. Yeah, it was it was like a video game and it was. No. Oh, OK, no, it wasn't Shadows of the Empire then. It was a different one. Um, It had Zizor in it as well. Okay. <laughs> who was uh who was a Faline who had uh pheromones and so he was always hitting on Princess Leia. Um but uh <laughs> but they had a soundtrack for that one. So it was like here is Star Wars music, but it's not the Star Wars music you've heard, but it was in the same vein. It had the same sort of riffs in it. It had the same uh feel to it. And so uh I would be able to pull that out and and play that during uh, a Star Wars game. And so it wouldn't feel like, oh, this is the Imperial March again, you know, um, and it was it was right. It was a good sa- it was a good soundtrack and it was a good addition to the standard Star Wars soundtracks, which are generally pretty awesome. Yeah, I think it was Shadows of the Empire, was it? Yeah, I'm just I, I'm doing the limited Googling, but like, yeah, no, it says first appearance Shadows of the Empire was for for Dash Rendar. I think I played part of the game. I didn't realize. I remember it being the huge like media event. But oh yeah, it anyway. is okay. Yeah, you're right. It is. It's the uh, Shadows of the Empire. It was, and they had a uh, Varese Sarabande Records did um, did the soundtrack for it. So it was a uh, it was ten songs, um, and Zizor was the main baddie in Shadows of the Empire. Yes. So. Yes. So I think the key thing when you're using music in your actual game is if it is going to be on a loop, like make sure that it, it's a helpful loop, right? So if you're doing the pod racing thing, you don't want to yeah. just suddenly drop out in the middle of the race while you're trying to keep things moving as the GM and suddenly like everybody's kind of denoting that you, you got to a lull, right? Like it should be music that can continue or you go through the playlist once and then you just stop it as like the game persists until the scene ends. Right. Like otherwise like, if you're playing the same scene us, for three hours. <laughs> yeah. I think that actually leads us into the next thing, which was soundboards. You can use soundboards during a game to play background music or to place, play sounds, uh, duh soundboards. Uh, but you can play short sounds that, will give kind of a little sting or a little thrill to your players and make them sit up and pay attention um, or get them into the mood more. Uh, If your group's walking down a forest path and suddenly they hear uh, a a bunch of orcs shouting uh, from the trees, you can play the orcs shouting from the trees sound and your players will sit up and pay attention to the orcs that are crashing through the trees at that point. Yes. 
So, uh, you know, the, the one that the one that I'm most familiar with is Sirenscape and they're pretty good. I was actually thinking about using them for one of our games here, but uh, unfortunately, I have it, it's labor intensive to do that. I can, but the right. way that they do sounds, all of their sounds or nearly all of their sounds are actually on, I believe, SoundCloud. And so Sirenscape okay. is actually an interface that will play the sounds directly from SoundCloud. And some sounds uh, are Creative Commons and they're different licenses of those Creative Commons. So you have to give the proper attribution and everything like that when you're when you're streaming. And unfortunately, they don't have like a, hey, I'm using these sounds. Can you give me all the attributions that I can just show on screen or whatever? Um, right. I ha I, we would have to go through to each individual sound and read the license agreement and then apply the light <laughs> and then comply with the license agreement. So that's right. why we, that's why I haven't tried to do it on the podcast. Um, but it's a pretty cool set of stuff. There's a free version. Uh, there's a subscription version. And then of course you can also just go to SoundCloud, but they've done the work for you already and done a whole bunch of searching and made sounds and put them on SoundCloud, et cetera, or hired people, paid for people to put to make sounds for them and put them on SoundCloud, et cetera. And so it's uh, it can be very handy to do that. Um, but if you want to make your own soundboard, you can do that with like SoundCloud or other like you can search on Google for other sounds, et cetera. Um, and you can use a different soundboard, such as Discord just recently introduced a soundboard feature if you're on a discord server you can set up a soundboard if your admin lets you or if you're an admin on it um and that so that could be just as easy to to use uh as well so i haven't played around with it i don't know how 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 feature rich it is um given that it's brand new as of recording right it's probably not very feature rich um you know sirenscape allows you to layer a whole bunch of different sounds it allows you to save those yeah. settings it allows you to adjust volumes on individual sounds in your group of sounds it has looped music so that you don't end up with like as ken was saying a bit ago with like hey the pod race is still going but the song ended <laughs> this right. one would have like hey, this is the pod race and the end of the pod race kind of naturally flows back into the beginning of the pod race. So it's a nice loop and your players don't really notice, but you can't really argue with free. So right. Discord's <laughs> giving it to you free and that's your budget. Go for it. So the other thing that I think is, is helpful, I've used it a handful of times. I think if I was doing more real world games, um, I would do more of it is atmospheric sound effects. So Specifically, like you can do those things like it's a it's a thunderstorm and you want to re you want to enforce the fact, reinforce the fact that there's a thunderstorm so that everybody remembers yep. they're supposed to be taking negatives to their arrow shots because there's a raging, you know, downpour happening. Right. Well, OK, well, cool. Bring up a bring up a thunderstorm track, like bring up the high winds, the howling winds track. Right. And those loop naturally. And so, you know, you again, you might not want to go on forever because the combat's going to last longer than the tracks. But still reinforcing the idea that you are in a thunderstorm yes you're a negative four because there's high winds and heavy rain and oh wait did you just get struck by lightning <laughs> yep and there's a bunch of uh sound effects libraries out there that might 
Um, there's a bunch that are paid, of course, but there might be some that are free out there that you could get those those thunderstorm sounds, etc. Um, there's also a few YouTube channels, which is basically like, you know, uh, eight hours of thunderstorm, you know, where someone basically went out to the middle of the woods and set up a set up a recorder and recorded eight hours of thunderstorms. So, you know, having right. a YouTube playlist would be kind of nice too. the, the thing that yep. is difficult for me is similar to what we talked about with tailspire, which is it all takes time and prep. Um, so yes. the, the <laughs> least amount of friction that you can, that you can make the process of setting up a soundboard or setting up a, a set of soundtracks for yourself, uh, the more likely you are to actually use them. Uh, I've used right. the soundtrack stuff in the background, but a lot of times it'll be like, I, I hit play and then we play for a while and, uh, and maybe I have that, those sounds on repeat or that playlist on repeat, but I forget because we're just deep into the role playing and I've forgotten to hit stop, you know, or forgotten to go to the next track that I want to. We'll have like pleasant music going on, but we'll be in the middle of a battle or something like that. Usually right. it's not battle music playing while you're in the quiet scenes because that's really noticeable (laughs) but sometimes you forget about those things so making using sounds as uh friction free as possible is will be your success will will lead you to success in actually using it effectively yeah i completely agree uh the uh, so then the other thing we were talking about was a different kind of media, which is in the in-game media, right? And I think Angry Bob is starting to allude to this. So who's Angry Bob? <laughs> so Angry Bob is my character, um, but I basically have named him after uh, there was a movie out in the early two thousands called Hardware, um, which feels very much like a, a cyberpunk dystopian future short story, and Angry Bob is a DJ on the radio and uh, he's basically it's like he's between songs and he's talking about the weather and other things like that. And when we uh, when we actually get into the game, I might do his actual spiel um, because it's fun to do. (laughs) Um, I I probably will not be able to do that voice in character or even that (laughs) attitude in character the entire game, but I'll try. I did read. I did read all of Transmetropolitan, so I've got a much better hold on on who Angry Bob might be and how he might act. Um, right. But uh, he might die really quick if I act like that. I brought Angry Bob from an in-world radio of hardware, and so I'm going to bring him into into Cyberpunk. And so that's Angry Bob. He's like a DJ and a news person, so he's... Uh, there's music that surrounds him as well. So, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun concept. I think, you know, Max Hedrum is another sort of like inspiration in terms of like a real world, like you have Max Hedrum, like I, and it's been a while since I actually rewatched the series. I have all these like pleasant, fuzzy memories about it, but right. Like you had this commercial who became this, like spawned the series. And then like the interactions between Max Hedrum and his reporter, his uh, reporter, human, persona i guess max hedrum's actually the persona but in any case like the idea that you had like this sprawling media complex that was in in a way its own character right and so i think 
it reinforced the world by giving you all of these options and kind of it was it was out there right um or even like in robotech not robotech robocop right um particularly the like the first robocop where you had like the in-universe ads that were showing up yep during the movie yep <laughs> or starship trooper Sorry, no, i was about to mention starship uh, trooper would you like to know more <laughs> Would you like to know more? Right. And so imagine like you're running like a hard SF game. Well, what is the media in that universe? Right. And so the, like, I mean, Starship Troopers goes in all kinds of different fun directions. I mean, wasn't right? like, was it was Robocop Paul Verhoeven too? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. Robocop one was. Yes. I don't think yes. I didn't, I don't so, remember any commercials in Robocop two or I don't remember Robocop three. So. I just rewatched RoboCop 2 and I think I don't know, it's really fuzzy. I think they were all the good ones were in if there were yeah. good ones are in RoboCop 1. Yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> Highlander case, there is only one. Right. Um so, you know, I think that that idea of being able to if you have the time to build out that sort of content. So when I ran my um mutants and masterminds campaign again it was only a handful of episodes but i wanted to play around with this kind of stuff and so i had a blog called a constant sentinel which was by basically just by an obnoxious fanboy <laughs> who blogged about the exploits of the various heroes in freedom city and so after a session instead of doing a recap i would write a blog post in by that character talking about their exploits or some other thing that was happening in game with the idea that the players could go out read the blog and pick up some bit of in-game note that might otherwise not come up in the game. That takes yep. a lot of effort, which may be one of the it reasons does. why the campaign only lasted a couple of sessions. Like I, I would, um, uh, similar to that, um, and actually similar to cyberpunk scream sheets, which we'll talk about in a minute. But, uh, when I was running a D and D campaign, I had a basically one page, single-sided newspaper, fantasy newspaper. And so I had like the title and like the date, et cetera. And then one article was a summary of what happened in the last adventure uh, or in the last session and, and the highlights from whoever was writing it, their point of view. But then there'd be two or three other articles that would be um, rumors or news or other things like that that were happening in the world outside of what what the party was doing and so the party was right. like the party always had three or four hooks every week that if they wanted to detour from the plot that they were on they could go oh we need to take care of that or oh let's check into that thing or you know if they just read it you know, I, I'd print them all out and I'd give a I'd give a copy to everybody at the beginning of the session uh, so they could. And it, it didn't take very long to read. Um, you know, they could be like, oh, let me put a pin in that so that when we're done with this thing, we can go investigate that that, that other thing. Um, and right. it was neat for me. It was also a way for me to to actually plan and keep track of what was happening in the world and not leaving it static. It's super easy just to have the, to focus on the adventurers and let, let the world stay static until they are done with that adventure. But it's always more fun to me when the world is still moving and spinning and the adventurers happen to live in it and they can affect the world, but they don't affect everything in the world. And the world is going to affect them too. And so that, right. that newspaper was a way for me to do that. 
I did something similar in my D and D campaign, the long running Black Razor Guild campaign, where I would I would have the, the and we talked about this when we were talking about weather in one of our previous episodes, right? Like I would I would have the like the month I would randomly generate the weather using an app, and then I would come up with random headlines that were going to be happening. We had an in game sort of quasi newspaper called the Griffin's Crier, which was one way of getting hooks out there. Some of it would just be the criers who were trying to sell like the Griffin's Crier on corners, right? And so they would be calling out the latest news. Um, and then bards, like, I mean, even without having some sort of printing press in your campaign, you can have yep. the bards, like, either making fun of the players for their most recent adventure because they're notable, talking about the other happenings of other adventurers, because Obsidian Bay, our home world, our hometown was was uh, very much an adventurer-based town, so people were always doing stuff, right? And so, like, you're as you point out, like, you've got adventure, you can reinforce the game, you can reinforce what the players are doing and how the, the rest of the world views them, right? Because they think they're heroes, but like, you know, the bards are going to find things to make fun of. And then you can just have random plot hooks that like the bards singing about the lost treasures of, you know, the Thieves Guild of Blue. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, what was that? <laughs> that is one of the reasons why I like the scream sheets that our Talsorian puts out for Cyberpunk Red. They've got scream sheets that they put out, which is just a like, and there's there's ways to put together scream sheets in the book, but they also have a downloadable kit that has oh, wow. like logos for <laughs> Arasaka and Militech and all the other major corporations, the Kibble Corporation that you can put into a scream sheet. Um, but then they also have like columns. They have, they have multiple different formats of a scream sheet, so it doesn't always have to look the same. And it should be fairly easy to put together with the tools that come with whatever computer that you have. If you have a Windows machine or a, or a Mac or uh, a Linux machine, there's all there's there's image editing sort of software or PDF sort of editing sort of software that you can use to fill out those screen sheets. And then you can deliver those to your players. In fact, the Tales from the Red, each of the Tales from the Red Adventures, I believe, has its own scream sheet. And there's one section of the scream sheet that is the adventure that describes the intro to that adventure, like like the hooks for that adventure. And then there's other things also on the scream sheet that might be of interest to the players or GM uh, when they give it out. It's like of just other stuff happening in the world. Right. The. um Kind of, there is a book that I have been searching up for since it came out in the early 2000s. It came out in 2005, which is The World of Kong, A Natural History of Skull Island. This was for Peter Jackson's uh, King Kong. Okay. And it's an in-world book that takes all of the concept art and what have you and and bundles it into a like in-world fiction book accounting Me. for the ecology of Skull Island. Um, I never saw it in the real world. It goes for like 250 to 300 dollars online so i'm not likely to splurge on it i ever whenever i go into a used bookstore i always head to like the art book section in the hopes that someone has put this out there and i might get it at some point for you know a song but it looks super cool and, it, and it, it's made me think about things like what are your in-world media right so when i was doing um when i was doing my um skills of truth campaign and the players were going to uh, the caverns of Kazil. There were books written in the world describing the content, like describing the things that they needed to learn. So they were researching the books, and so I had 
like short phrases that describe the things that they would find in the caverns of Kazil. I did not have the time to build a full art book, <laughs> but the idea that these books existed and that they were researching them, um, I think is it's fun. It's like Skyrim, right? Like when you're adventuring in Skyrim, there are a gazillion books, and in some of those books are hooks. But like everywhere you go, there's a freaking book. <laughs> I will say that uh, the one game that I know of. The one game system that I know of that is really, really big on using in-world fiction, in-world art is Call of Cthulhu. Yes. There are several places out there, and I'll have to look some of them up, that produce things like newspaper articles that look like they were printed in 1920 that you can then print out um, or show and like it has information as part of the module that you're playing. Like there are, there are groups out there that have taken the, the modules uh, that have come out for Call of Cthulhu and then made artifacts specifically for those modules so that you can use them in game. Um, and you can even get pretty expensive, I believe in like, buy like bottles or scrolls or entire like old tome books uh, sort of thing that would go with your campaign that actually has like pertinent information for your campaign. And yeah. it just, it, it lends a certain uh, verisimilitude of like, Oh yeah, this thing could be real, you know, or this thing could be, you know, it gives it, it pulls you into the game a little bit more when you have, when you have stuff in your hand, that's like a scrap of paper that has, you know, a newspaper article with like an obituary, but you of someone who died 20 years ago, but you just talk to them, you know, that sort of stuff. Right. Right. And I've done it's reminding me like uh, and I had props. I took it out and put it back in again because props is a kind of media. Right. Um, yep. It's not like uh, pop, you know, like pop culture type media. But like I remember like weathering a map. So like I took an old like paper grocery bag, crumpled it up, uncrinkled it again, used some pen and ink markers on it, um, and then burned it. <laughs> you like, actually burn you, marks I mean you're it. laughing, but that's exactly <laughs> what I did for the very first game that I that I ran for my cousins is I was doing Lost Minds of Fandelver. Well you can go online and there's a, a player map of that yeah. area of Faerun. And it's it's the same map that comes in the box set, but it's a player version that doesn't have many, uh, like all the GM labels on it. And so I crumpled it up a couple of times to give it some crinkliness. And then I made a cup of tea and then I took the still wet tea bag and just wiped <laughs> it all over the front and the back. And then I right. let it dry and they thought it was cool. So they thought it was kind of a neat thing. I could have done more. I could have like ripped the edges of the map or I could have, you know, if you want to, you can totally up that. You could go from from crumpled up and rubbed with the tea bag level to <laughs> full on. I'm going to get calligraphy pens and really nice vellum or really nice, uh, really nice other paper or whatever. And like totally create stuff. If you're, if you have that much time and are an artistic, I would do that if it was a map or something like that, that would be used for a majority of the campaign. Um, right. Like one of the things I did do, um, and I don't know if this is, this probably isn't, uh, 
media. Well, it is media. It's I let's put it under art. Here's something you can do in game, which I found really fun. Go to like a toy store or a Target or something. And usually they'll buy they'll have these 10, 16 piece kid puzzles that are cardboard. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can buy them that are shrink wrapped with like three of them. Um, Spray paint them. So you, you know, you've completely wiped out the what the picture was and then write on it or draw your map or whatever and then break the puzzle apart and then give one or two pieces to the party. And then then I did this for uh, for one of my campaigns. One of the things that they had to do was get all the pieces. And so they were chasing down all the pieces and. And it was like the way I ran it was there was another group that was also going after these pieces. And sometimes they would get there first and sometimes the other group would get there first. And occasionally when they fought and they defeated the other group, they would get some puzzle pieces that that group had. Um, And so they would get more than one. Uh, And so but it was only like. 10 or 16, I think it was like a 16 piece puzzle, maybe a 20 piece puzzle. So it wasn't like. I mean, the, the puzzle pieces were like the size of the palm of your hand. It's not like it's not right. like it's a hard right. puzzle, um, but they would slowly put it together and they would try and figure out what was on it. And there was, you know, of course, once you put it together, there was more to figure out. There was like a puzzle in the puzzle. Um, and, you know, just just make sure you don't do like I did. And if it was a letter like I did it, tw- I did it more than once. I had a letter, but the pieces that I gave them, they could figure out what the missing stuff said. And so they kind of leapfrogged past the end, which, which is fine. But, uh, you know, it, it was, it was, I had to deal with that. That was surprising to me, but I should have realized it. Um, cause I play with smart people. They, they can figure out what these eight missing words are, you know, or could be, um, and right. so, uh, but yeah, it's, it, it's good. It's, it's a fun thing and it's fairly cheap to do. You know, you, I, the dollar store might even have some, you know, I don't go to the dollar store much, but they might even have something like that there too. The most expensive, the most expensive thing in that is a can of spray paint. Honestly, spray paint's more expensive than the puzzles. Um, I have to say, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you remember this, but it's, you're describing this reminds me of like classic episode of the series lost where like the lights go out in the bunker and suddenly there's this map and you see a, a, a just for a second, you see the whole illuminated map of the Island with all of the things that the people have discovered in the meantime. And I remember my friends and I picking over the screenshots of that map and like, what do you think this means? What do you think this means? Yeah. Right. And so yeah. having something similar where you find the map and it just, it's just so packed full of like, non sequiturs and red herrings and other just random stuff where the players come up with what they think it is. I think, I mean, I don't think lost lived up to the potential of what was on that map, but, uh, but it was a cool, it was a really cool moment. And I think that's the kind of thing that you can recreate in your campaign. If you were willing to spend the time to come up with those kinds of artifacts. Yep. Yep. For sure. The other thing that I've done is uh, with fiction is take books that I've read um, and, I, and I'm pretty sure we've talked about this. I, I don't know of any GM who is who has not done this, but like take things that they've read and twist them and make them into adventures for your game. Oh, yes. What's interesting is you can totally 
take things like uh, a science fiction or a horror game and twist it into like, say, a fantasy game. You could easily take the concept of Terminator, maybe minus the time travel, but like some sort of automaton has traveled and is trying to kill a person with a certain name going through a city and they're unstoppable. Um, but your party has to stop them and you have to figure out what's going on. That's the Terminator. Basically, you know, you could, you could totally pull that into a fantasy game or you must end the bloodline. Yeah. The thing is, is going after a particular bloodline. Exactly. Or certain wielders of the secrets of said magic or what have you. Right. Like, yeah, we're going to you, we're going to kill you. And then the players have to figure out how to either keep that person alive or maybe one of their friends is one of those people. Like, yeah, it's, it's, Mm. Makes me want to use that now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Feel free. not my hmm, idea. elemental apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, there's uh, there's other ones. Uh, you know, let me look at at my uh, thing here. You know, there's the support your local wizard uh, by Diane Duane, who the uh, the concept of it is when you're young, you have all this creativity and things like that, and you have the ability to access magic, whereas, and that fades as you grow into adulthood. So you are more creative and more energetic, so you can access more powerful magic, but you're, you get better at using the magic the older you get, but you get less powerful. And um, yes, it's, it's kind of Harry Potter-like, but it came out 15 years before Harry Potter. But, uh, you know, that's a good one. Um, and then you can steal from other stuff like the Elric of Meldabone or Chronicles of Amber. The favorite one that I've heard multiple uh, friends of mine or GMs have pulled from is Fred Saberhagen's Book of Swords, where oh yes, the gods crafted a whole bunch of different swords, you know, coin spinner, town slayer, stone cutter, et cetera. And they'll throw one or one or more of those swords into their campaign, whether or not there's a story attached to it, or they just thought it was a cool sword that gets in there. Right. And don't feel bad at all about doing that. There are a ton of other things that were based on something before West side story is Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) Right. People still (laughs) liked it. There are many different ways of Romeo and Juliet being done uh they had the the quote quote modern day i think it was wasn't it leonardo dicaprio um was in it along with i can't remember her name now she was in stardust as well she played juliet um but it was set like in modern day and so they're like here's my dagger and you see a nine like a nine millimeter but it has dagger stenciled on the side (laughs) you know it's like right take take a story and figure out how you can twist it um to fit in the genre in the game that you're playing right now i think that's something that could easily be done in terms of the fiction side of things Definitely. So everybody, thanks for listening. If you have feedback, we love feedback. You can send it to us at podcast at lairofsecrets.com or via Twitter at Lair of Secrets. And since Twitter is going through one of its periodic meltdowns, um, we've been also uh, doing a lot on Mastodon, actually. So visit us there at uh, dicecamp.camp uh, dot, dice dot slash at 
layer of secrets. That's a mouthful, but that's okay. You can just go to the website, click on the link. Um, we stream this live on Twitch. If you want to get your fix early and unedited, we are layer of secrets, one word over there. You can also visit layerofsecrets.com and leave us some feedback, topic ideas, and your own thoughts on what we have talked about. Thanks for joining us, everybody.